This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. This is only a partial list of what my guest has survived. Car accident, endometriosis, MS, cervical cancer, fibromyalgia, and a heart attack. One day, doctors decided to cut her off of pain meds. After a suicide attempt, she discovered Kratom, which she calls a lifesaver. This is Amanda Marie, and this is her Kratom story. You're originally from Michigan? Yes. Born and raised. Detroit? Uh, near Detroit, in a town called Howell. So now you work as a farmer in New Mexico? Well, I'm a farmer and a construction worker. So, uh, yeah, easy work there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll t- I told you I used to be a farmer, too, but yeah. Yeah, that stuff is, uh, when you haven't done it in a long time, it, it'll get you. <laughs> yeah. Fast. What, what kind of farming is it? Um, basically, we have three and a half acres, and we have a lot of animals that we take care of. Um, we have two pigs. And they just gave birth to their first litter of piglets. Nice. Uh, we have nine piglets. And we have a horse and a donkey and a cow. And our cow is about to give birth any day. Wow. Um, we have, yeah, a ton of chickens and rabbits and, like, the whole shebang. <laughs> Do you raise them all for meat? Is that... Not all of them. Um, mm. Some of them, you know, you kind of get sentimental and get attached. But, uh, yeah, we, we raise some of them for the food. Yeah, I did. I I did chickens. That's the only animals we had, but and they're easier not to get attached to. I've ne- I've never. I was thinking about doing pigs, like selling one and keeping one and having a barbecue, but uh, I'm like, I heard they're really <laughs> smart, so I was like, oh man, I don't know if I, I'd have the wherewithal <laughs> to take them to the slaughterhouse. Yeah, they actually uh, the last pig that they had before I got here, they purposely raised him, uh, for him to be slaughtered, and so. They slaughtered him, and we have four freezers full of pork still. Nice. That's <laughs> he was awesome. about 550 pounds. He was a big boy. <laughs> Are, so you, do you guys sell them, sell the meat too, or just keep the food? Um, we will if we have a lot, but I mean, yeah. for the most part, we keep it. So, so you're in New Mexico. Yep. Okay. Right around Albuquerque. So is that is that like desert there? Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah. Um, I mean, where we're situated is, but I mean, if you go more into town, there's actually, you know, houses and stuff that, you know, have a little grass, but more so than anything, it's primarily desert. Yeah. Let's go through your story. You have quite a story, a man. I mean, you've been through a lot, Um, but um, so you got an injury when you were 12. Uh, uh, Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. I went to a birthday party at a roller skating rink, and the school that I went to at the time, um, it was a uh, Lutheran school, so a step down from Catholic, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was pre-kindergartners through eighth graders on the same school. Um, So I go to this birthday party and haven't been on skates in a while, you know, so I'm a little wobbly. I finally get my confidence and get my feet under me, and I get out in the middle, and I'm having a great time, and the next thing I know... Somebody went by me so fast and they couldn't get around me. So they pretty much just plowed through me. So I did the, you know, the weeble wobble back and forth and my skates came out forward in front of me and I went right down on my tailbone. Oh man. 
And and you said uh, one of your main arteries wrapped around a piece of tailbone, and the doctors wouldn't couldn't work on it or something. Is it... Yeah, they they wouldn't touch it. Um, they wanted to take the rest of my spine about ten years after this happened and put a steel rod up my spine just because of all the injuries um, and degenerative changes and everything that my spine has been through. Um, I have scoliosis and arthritis and degenerative disc and herniated discs I got a whole lot going on back there um Mm -hmm. but I never went for the surgery because every single person I know that's ever had it they have been worse off afterwards (laughs) so I kind of just went no I'm good okay but I at least tried to go see like a chiropractor to see it you know if they could help with the pain of that um and they sent me to see an orthopedic specialist and they wouldn't touch me so that wasn't that was just the beginning uh uh yeah so you've had a lot of like construction injuries you said um uh and and you were just talking about uh, a couple of herniated discs um and then you had a pretty bad car accident um do you want to talk about that a little bit sure um my car accident was in 2004 um I was the designated driver that night and was driving my friend's SUV and it started downpouring and it was pitch black out. I couldn't see. And I'm going down this road off the freeway that I'd never been on before. Well, apparently a week to the day before my accident, somebody else had an accident in that same spot and took out the sign stating that there was a 10 mile an hour curve ahead. Well, they never replaced it. So needless to say, it's pouring buckets of rain, it's pitch black. I look and I'm looking at road and I blink for a second and all I see is trees. Oh wow. So I look off to my left and I'm trying to find where the road had gone. So I'm like, well, if I do this the right way, I can just kind of ease into my brakes and I can maybe fishtail, but at least get off on the side and stop. Nope, didn't happen. We uh, spun around and ended up flipping I think it was like 15 or 16 times uh, oh, into this huge ravine. Wow. Uh, everybody else, there were three other people on the car with me. None of them had a seatbelt on. None of them had a scratch on them, thank God. Wow. Um, yeah. I was amazed at that, but very grateful. Um, as far as me, my as we were going down into the ravine, my seatbelt disengaged and wrapped around my neck and then re-engaged. And when we finally stopped, the dashboard collapsed on top of my legs. So I couldn't feel that my butt was in the seat, but all I could feel was a really intense pain in my neck and then I lost consciousness. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I kind of woke up at one point, they were trying to put me on a uh, backboard to take me out. And they had to use the jaws of life to cut me out. they didn't tighten my cervical collar around my neck like they were supposed to. And they took me out feet first. So what ended, well, what started as minor injuries to my C4 and C5, they ended up crushing them completely in doing that. So I was in the hospital for a couple months after that. That was just a whole nother add on to my (laughs) back problems to say the least. Which C4 and C5 is that like the discs in your neck? Yes. It's in the back of your neck, kind of almost where your neck meets your spine. I know people who get injuries have uh, more of an education on the anatomy than I do. It's a hard way to learn. Um, 
and um, that's right. And, and so you had to have a bunch of surgeries. You said. Um, I had to have the one surgery. Uh, well, actually, I ended up after everything was said and done, it was three surgeries on my neck, and they tried to essentially rebuild the C4 and C5, and they couldn't really do it. I mean, it when you, when people say crushed, they don't really think you know, like almost nothing left, but that's pretty much what my neck was like. Mm. Um, I was in one of those cervical collars for a year after my accident. Yeah. Um, but eventually they just ended up having to replace them essentially and, and fused it in together with everything else. Wow. And, and you said you actually lost two inches in height. Yeah. It wasn't long after I fully recovered from my accident, actually, that I found out that I have a moderate to severe case of scoliosis in my spine. Um, and yeah, I've lost over two inches in height within just a couple of years. And you also <laughs> said you had fibromyalgia. Yes, fibromyalgia yeah. Yeah, and multiple sclerosis. Secondary relapse version of that, which isn't as bad, you know, to some, but it's still bad, it's bad enough. Is that brought on by your injuries? You know, I wonder the same thing. And from what I was told or what I've learned, since then is that MS can be genetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, my, my, my mom passed on years ago um, and my dad's side of the family doesn't really have anything with, you know, autoimmune diseases or anything like that. Um, but it's very well possible that it could have come from my mom's side. Fibromyalgia is one of those where it seems like they don't know much about it. Is that, I, I just tweeted an article out um, on our on our Twitter that that said uh, fibromyalgia might be some kind of autoimmune disease. Is is that your understanding? Yes, I believe that it should be classified as autoimmune. Um, mm-hmm. It affects so many different systems in the body, and the symptoms that each person experiences can vastly differ from one person to the next. Um, but I do fully believe that it should be classified as autoimmune. So you also said you had a heart attack about four years ago because you have tachycardia. And I'm just wondering if the, if this is also something because of all the stress on your body from all the um, injuries. It very well could be. Um, my cardiologist that I have back in Michigan, she's really amazing, actually. Um, and she had been telling me for years prior leading up to this that she would be amazed if I didn't have a heart attack by the time I was 35 Mm. and I kind of was shocked when she said that to say the least but uh, I've got a lot of heart issues um, that run in my family heart attacks and strokes at an early age Mm. Um, and I'd actually taken steps to get into a healthier place Uh, I almost completely quit smoking I cut out the caffeine started working out you know I was eating healthier and apparently it was too much at once. And bad heart history combined with too many changes at one time was what threw me into my heart attack. Then you had cervical cancer and um, endo- yes. endometriosis. Can you, tell, uh, can you tell us what endometriosis is? It's actually pronounced endometriosis. Metriosis, um, okay. And basically what it is is it's where the lining... There's tissue that grows inside of a woman's uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, endometriosis is when that tissue grows outside, and it can attach to um, 
the inside of your abdomen or the outside of it or you know anywhere around in your pelvic area Mm -hmm. and let me just tell you anybody that's had any experience with this it is excruciatingly painful Mm. and there's not really a whole lot that they can do i mean I was just asking, like, if that came along with the cervical cancer, or or was that different? Um, actually, they they found out that I had that when I was fifteen or sixteen, because mm. I had really bad, really painful periods to the extent that I would end up in the hospital every month. Oh my um, god! So they started doing some investigation, and they found out about the endometriosis. Well, that led to more extensive monitoring, and I had to go in for, uh, you know, the the pelvic exams and things like that more frequently. Mm. Um, then they started to notice that my cervix was showing signs of dysplasia, um, which doesn't always lead to cancer, but it can. And for me, it did. Within six months of my last checkup to the next one i had a full-blown case of cervical cancer when i went in for my test that was when i was 30 i had my hysterectomy when i was 31 and they had to do that because of the cancer and it was because of that yeah uh, yeah but you had a son before that um yes. of course yes, I did. before that the such a dude question um <laughs> yeah but uh <laughs> yeah and then you said you, that 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 was particularly hard for you because you wanted to have some more kids yeah i did want to give our son you know a brother or sister you know or two um you know so it was a really hard pill for me to swallow but you know at the same time you know there's plenty of kids out there that need homes you know that don't have them so um i'm actually still considering adopting a child at this oh, that's point. cool. So, that's awesome. Yeah, never too late. So, obviously, you, you, you've been through tons of pain. Um, treated that, obviously, with opiate pain pills. They say there's dependence and there's addiction. And, you know, some people depend on them, you know, if you have all these hard, chronic pain diseases. Um, and and um, But you said you did develop an addiction. Yes, unfortunately. It's... Uh... Yeah, they started with me on that um, when I was 12, when I had my first back injury. Um, And I didn't like it. You know, I was 12. I didn't really understand. It was like, here, take this medicine that makes you feel like you're not in touch with reality and foggy. And I didn't like it. So I pretty much just sucked it up and dealt with it and quit taking it. Um, And then as, you know, more and more things started happening, more injuries, my car accident, you know, whatever else, they just, all they wanted to do was throw pain pills at me. Oh, mm. you're in pain? Okay, here, here's 120 Vicodin. Um, okay. So after a while, you get used to it. And when you get used to it, you don't feel it so much anymore. Same story with everything. So you start taking more. Mm-hmm. And I battle back and forth with not wanting to take them, but having to take them to be functional for many years. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, the height of my addiction was about four years ago. And uh, I was taking over 20 of them a day just to be able to get out of bed and 
function like a normal human being. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, but you needed them for the pain and stuff. And it seems like, you know, there was was a time when you could get as many as you wanted. And uh, but now I think people in pain or 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 having trouble getting them. Even uh, my wife's friends, a nurse, she even said they're not even giving pain pills to the 75 year old guy. That's one of her patients with uh, cancer. So it's kind of like they they went too much for some years and now it's uh not enough and you even said that um you were on 35 milligrams a day and and you had some kind of issue with your insurance and then they just cut you down to nothing in three days so so uh what was that like well that was well that was actually um leading up to that was after my doctor had um decided you know when this witch hunt for people taking opiates started that you know, oh, we're going to cut you off. We know you need them, but we're just going to cut you off because they were terrified they were going to get in trouble. <sighs> yeah. So a couple in my neighborhood that lived a street over had said, well, why don't you just come to the clinic with us, you know, and they'll be able to help you. And I'm like, okay. Because in the meantime, in between this happening and my doctors cutting me off, I was buying them from a girl that lived in my neighborhood. Mm. And yeah, that was when it got really bad. But so I went, ended up going to the clinic and talked to the doctor. And the first day that I was there, they decided they were going to put me on methadone. I had no idea what that even was. So I got all signed up for everything, had my first dose, went home. I had to go in there every day. Yeah. Well, then everything was going fine. And then I finally did some Googling and found out what it was. And I went in and talked to the doctor and I said, I'm trying to get off opiate pain pills. I don't want to be on a stronger opiate than what I was taking. And if anything, I want to work my way down. And they were increasing my doses every couple of days. So, yeah, there was a hiccup with my insurance. And uh, I had been up to 35 milligrams a day, which I guess in the grand scope of methadone is a lot. Um, and they cut me off completely over three days. Um, they called it a rapid detox. And nothing else was given to kind of try to substitute that or anything. Um, I laid on my bathroom floor for over a week. I couldn't even get up to relieve myself. I was terrified I was going to die on my bathroom floor. Mm. The withdrawals from that were way worse than the pain pills. What did methadone make you feel like? Because, yeah, that's one of the things if... if Somebody doesn't know, most of our listeners do probably, but it's what they give you to get out of addiction, either methadone and was was this before they came out with Suboxone? Um, no, actually okay. this uh, this was after they had come out with Suboxone. Okay. Um, and as far as the methadone, it was kind of like a, because I had to drive about 20, 25 minutes to the clinic from where I lived at the time. Um, to dose and so leaving the clinic it was the grand race of hurry up and get home before it hits you because when it would hit me it's like okay I need to sit down and a lot of times I'd end up just sitting down and passing out because it just it was like the pain pills that I had taken before but it was just so much more intense than that yeah and I just felt really foggy and really out of it you know, and I repeatedly asked them to cut down my doses, but they were like, well, you know, with the withdrawal you're going through, you need a higher dose. And in my mind, I'm like, well, these people are 
medical professionals in a counseling setting, so obviously they know what they're talking about. Who am I to question it when I should have been questioning it from the get-go? Were you driving yourself to that clinic, or was somebody else driving you? Yeah. No, I had to drive myself. Oh, man, that's pretty—that's dangerous if you're about to pass out, especially since you've been in a car accident you're probably afraid of. Car horn. Yeah, just, just a little bit. I mean, I tried to find people to take me, but yeah, I tried to find people, you know, to take me here and there. But, you know, the times of the morning that I would have to go, you know, people were already at work. Um, you know, I worked uh, midnight shift at that time. So it was like, OK, uh, let's see, how fast can I get to my car? How fast can I drive home without getting pulled over and going to jail? Which, thank God, that never happened. Yeah. And no accidents ever happened, so I was grateful for that. But I don't know how they put people on that stuff and let them operate a car after that. So they just cut you oh off of methadone. God. So, so I mean, what was that like? Is that when that that's when you were on your bathroom floor? And, oh yeah, that yeah. was. I was trying everything that I could think of. I called every inpatient facility that was within four counties of where I lived. Um, I even called out of state going as far to call some in California because I have family there. Um, nobody would take me because it was the week leading up to Thanksgiving. Everybody was full. And I actually had one nurse had the nerve to laugh at me. And she says to me, well, good luck with that, honey, because that's a hundred times worse than uh, getting off pain pills. You're going to be miserable for months. I hope you don't live alone. Oh, my God. Damn. Uh, that's pretty harsh. That's it. So you was this when you when you uh, ha had your suicide attempt? Uh yeah, this was uh, okay. Not long after. Did you have nothing for your pain at that point? Nope, I wow. had nothing. And when I finally got far enough past the methadone withdrawal to be somewhat functional again, um, I started going back to the doctor and you know was being honest about what I had been through because I wanted help. Yeah. You know, and I didn't want to get back on pain pills just to be a functional human being. But I mean, it was there every day staring me in the face. If I wanted it, it was a phone call away. At that point, it was like, well, it's either this or I'm done. I mm. was tired of being in pain. I was tired of people treating me like I was a drug addict. Mm. You know, and I just, I'd had enough. And so you, I mean, we don't have to go into details if you don't want to, but you, you told me you um, put your oven on and tried to seal up the windows. Yep, I sealed up the windows yeah. and the doors, and I put a sign on my ceiling fan, first walking into my house and one outside on the door because I didn't want anybody to walk in to, you know, end up sick or possibly losing their life. But I lay down on the couch, and I eventually passed out. I don't remember passing out. Um, apparently, I called 911 at some point. I woke up, which I was told when I got to the hospital that it was a sheer miracle because the carbon monoxide level in my blood should have killed me. Wow. Um, yeah. So I don't remember calling 911 whatsoever, but they had told me that when they got to my house, I was passed out halfway outside my door. Wow. So that was that was really scary, waking up in a hospital and not knowing where I was and what had happened to me. It took a minute for it to come back. 
So you said um, following that you were in a mental health facility. Um, What was that like? Was that a positive experience? You know, honestly, I was pretty terrified at first. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you hear a lot of things, you know, from people about these places and how scary they could be. But the level that I was on, actually, everybody seemed pretty normal. Um, You know, people that struggled with depression, anxiety, um, you know, things that I suffer with. But, I mean, they were good people that I met in there. And, uh, you know, the counselors and everything were really great. Uh, You know, they were really good about talking to you and, you know, being there for the patients. The doctors is another story. But, um, yeah, the counselors there and the other people that were there when I was there, everybody was really great. So I was grateful for that. I would have gone into a bad environment there that I probably wouldn't have come out the way that I did. Yeah, really, because it's not like you're schizophrenic or anything. That's a pretty logical choice that you're just in severe pain and you want to get away from it. I mean, yep, and, and, and it, I don't know. It's just crazy how, how I, I hear from so many people that are treated like this and just because they don't want to give you any a little bit of pain, stuff for your pain and you know, work with you and stuff, and it's just, uh, it's just infuriating the way these drug policies are. Oh, yeah. There's that. I mean, when I woke up in the hospital after my suicide attempt, I was completely appalled. They ended up putting me in a gray gown, which was to signal that I was being held uh, in the psych ward, Um, Mm. which I think is really unfair because I feel like other people in the hospital, that just puts a bullseye on you. Oh, look, it's somebody with mental problems. And the yeah. way that they treat people in the hospitals that come in for stuff like that is horrid. Absolutely horrid. So how did you uh, discover Kratom? Was it the same year, 2016? So this would have been, I have to think back, 2018, mm-hmm. I believe. And this was my second stint in the wheelchair from relapsing on my MS. Um, I was uh, paralyzed from my hips down to walk. Um, so you can imagine with the back issues and everything that I already have going on, being in a wheelchair just irritated that a lot. Mm. Um, you know, and the only thing that you have to move yourself to go to the restroom or get through narrow doorway or you go up and down stairs is your upper body and your arms, you know, and your back. So, I mean, my pain went from, <laughs> let's see, 47 to about 200. <laughs> wow. And I had a home health nurse, actually, that came to see me. And at the end of one of our visits one day, she looked at me and said, have you ever heard of Kratom? <sighs> and I looked, at, I kind of gave her this funny look. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go with the medicines again in my head, you know. And she's like, well, it's, it's a leaf, you know. And she told me what it was all about. And I'm like, wait a second. You mean it's, it's holistic. It's natural. It's not, not made by the FDA. She's like, nope, all it is, it's a leaf. So she left me with some information to look up. So I did a lot of Googling that night. And when she came to see me the following week, she brought um, a bottle of capsules for me. Um, and uh, I tried it. And that was it. I have not looked back since that day. Kratom has been a lifesaver for me. And I mean that in a very serious way, because if it wasn't for Kratom, then I fear to think of where I would be now. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, so many people tell us this in, sincerely, and it's not, you know, I mean, it, there's a, you know, a struggle to keep it legal and everything, and people might think, uh, you know, we might be exaggerating, but so many people uh, uh, that we've heard from just on our site and that I've interviewed said it was a lifesaver. So, I mean, it's, this is serious stuff. It's not just... You know, it's not just a little recreational plant. So did how? I feel how, like they're looking at it that oh, this is just a natural way for people to, you know, get high and you know to abuse it. Kind of like the same thing that happened with marijuana before it became legal. Yeah. But of course, they're not going to let it be legal if they can't find a way to make a profit off of it. And that's really sad because the medical professionals in the FDA in this country, they care more about the money that they're making than the mental illness, or I'm sorry, the mental health and wellness of their patients. I mean, holistic remedies have been around for, I mean, if they could use them in South America a thousand years ago, then I don't understand what the problem is. I think Kratom, there's going to be some good drugs that come out of Kratom, which will be fine uh, as long as uh, we can have access to the plant uh, as well. What does it do for your pain? I mean, functionally, what does it what does it do for you? So normally, when if I'm in just kind of about a, as as normal of a feeling as I can be in, um, I'll wake up in the morning and I will usually mix up a combination of um, green, yellow, and red, or a white um, with like a gold and a red. Um, something like that, and I, and I love it because the red, it significantly helps with my pain on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it makes it so that I can get out of bed without wanting to tear my hair out. <laughs> um, I mean, on my bad days when I flare, you know, I don't really do a whole lot on those days, but on those days, I primarily just take the reds, and yeah, it doesn't take everything away completely, but at least I can still be somewhat functional even on my bad days and before that was not an option there were times that i was laid up for two three weeks that i couldn't even get out of bed and half the time i'd have to have somebody carry me to the bathroom because i couldn't even make it on my own Mm. so it's tremendous improvement that's awesome and and how do you prepare it do you do a tea Um, or just a toss and wash or i i take the um the powder and yeah. I have been mixing it either with uh, like the strawberry banana body armor or the grape crystal light. It really, really helps with the taste. Yeah. Um, the reds, you know, obviously are more bitter than the other ones. But I mean, it's been two years, a little over two years now. So I'm fairly accustomed. I still can't do toss and wash, though. I choke every time. Yeah. But I actually just saw something that a woman posted in one of the groups that I'm a part of. And. She uses a French press. Mm-hmm. She puts the powder in it. Um, That's what I do. Yeah, boiling water. And I actually just today, this morning, um, on my lunch break, I ran over to Walmart and picked up the French press. Um, so tomorrow I'm going to try it for the first time. And this was led up to, um, I was in the emergency room yesterday. I had an ambulance came out and had to get me um I ended up getting a super upset stomach and I have gastritis and uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease too. Oh man. Um, yeah. So my stomach gets irritated pretty easily, which sucks because I love spicy food, but I think yeah. that the plant matter, you know, and taking it daily, especially having to take higher doses on my bad days 
um, is starting to mess with my stomach a little bit. Yeah. But from what I was reading on this lady's method with using the French press, um, you know, it takes a lot of that plant matter out. And so you still get the pain relieving effects and, you know, the energy and the help with the depression and the anxieties without having to put all that extra in your stomach. It got so bad that it made my chest start to hurt really, really bad. Oh. And it got to the point where it felt like my chest was caving in on itself. And so when I started getting the really bad pain in my lower back and down my left arm, I thought I was having a heart attack <laughs> again. Oh, darn. So, yeah, I freaked. And, you know, thankfully it wasn't that, you know, they did my EKG and everything was as normal as it can be for me. Um, you know, which I'm really grateful for. But uh, yeah, moving forward, we're uh, we're gonna get rid of some plant matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me know when you start drinking the tea if it if it has if you think it has the same effects or not. But that French press, yeah, I absolutely. I keep it in there about a half hour, um, and it it comes out. It's a little colder. You know, it's not like hot hot tea. And you're in New Mexico, so you probably appreciate that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. Yeah, the longer you keep it in there, I mean, I do a half hour, um, and it was probably in there for 40 minutes today, but it always, it gives it enough time to get all the alkaloids out, and it always works for me for, I mean, I took mine at like 1.30 today, and I'm still feeling it a little bit. How much do you take a day? Well, on a regular day, I probably take about four and six grams a day on a bad day. Some of my worst days, I think I've taken a total of between like 12 and 15 grams a day. Yeah. That's part of my morning routine. I mean, I know the, the, in the grand scale of things, 12 to 15 grams really doesn't seem like a lot to a lot of people. But then again, I'm maybe like a whopping five foot, five inches tall and weigh maybe a hundred pounds on a good day. So, you know, it, it really doesn't take a whole lot, um, for me, but. You know, I mean, everybody is different and to each their own. So, yeah, but I mean, that's my wake up morning rituals. Wake up, make tea, drink tea, then drink coffee. Then I'll talk to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I go to work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's a good message, though, too, because because, you know, as much as much as your chronic pain issues that you have, um, only that little amount is, is good enough. And and people have said less is more you know in the message boards and in the chat rooms and stuff and i really i really believe that i've heard that from a lot of people who are who are in a lot of pain like you are do you ever uh, take breaks uh for tolerance or anything like that i do actually and okay. it has been a while since my last one and i'm thinking it's been probably oh about a year I'd say mm-hmm. since I took my last break, um, but I actually, you were um, talking about the company that makes the tea bags, and um, there's a, a company that I religiously stand by ever since I found them because everything about their company is amazing. The quality, the price, you can't beat their customer service, but they're starting to do um, things with the tea bags and stuff now too. And, um, Cause I was, when I first got turned on to this, I was taking capsules and yeah. it took me finding out the hard way that, um, it takes a long time for your stomach acid to, um, you know, eat through that gelatin to get it into your system. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually this group had kind of tipped me off to 
well, it, you know, if you poke three or four holes in the capsules, it'll make it easier to get into your system. Mm. And so back then, I mean, I feel like it was taking a lot longer. So I was taking more. I mean, I'd wake up in the morning and I would take probably green and red and I'd take between 10 and 15 capsules when I woke up. So, I mean, the good thing about the powder versus the capsules, it gets into your system a lot faster. And I feel like it's the potency is higher in the powder. Do you feel like it's it's like an addiction? Like like uh, you said you had, you know, the uh, pain pill addiction. Do you do you ever feel would you classify it like that? No, yeah. no, absolutely not. Because it's not one of those things to where like when the effects start to wear off. That was the thing about the pain pills, because when the effects started to, you know, work their way down and they started to wear off, then it was like, oh, shit, oh, shit, where's my pills? I have to take more. I have to take more, you know, because if you went too long without it, you started going into withdrawal. And I'm sure there's many people that can attest to how miserable that is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with this, it's I honestly don't even think about it because I try to keep it fairly evenly spaced throughout the day when I take it. I try to take it between every four to six hours. Um, but honestly, it's more of like a, not paying attention to the time I could be doing something on the farm or at work and, you know, I'll go to bend or I'll go to reach a certain way and my body will go, Whoa, Hey, what are you doing? That hurt. And then my brain kind of clicks in and goes, Oh shoot, you missed your deadline. Time to take your kratom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's more of a body throwing pain signals like, Hey, stupid, take your medicine, you know, type deal. It's not a oh my God, I got to have it because it's been more than four hours, you know. Opiate withdrawals are nothing like uh, Kratom withdrawals. Would you even classify it as in the same ball field? No, not even close. I mean, there's been times like when I was taking with the capsules and I was taking a lot of reds, you know, like if I didn't take it or whatever, I'd be like, man, I kind of feel weird, but it would just be kind of like I catch a chill for a second or I'd get warm for a second and it's just like, yeah, I think am I coming down with a cold or something, you know, yeah. but we're with pain pills. That's, that's like a whole nother dimension. That's when it hits you, you know exactly what that is. Yeah. So I wouldn't even put Kratom in the same ballpark as that. So have you ever had a doctor that you could talk to about Kratom? <laughs> Not in this lifetime. <laughs> They were asking me about my medicines yesterday when I got to the hospital. And um, when I told them I took Kratom, because they're like, oh, you know, you you don't take anything? I'm like, no, all I take is Kratom. And they're like, what's Kratom? I'm like, are you kidding me? How can you not know what Kratom is in this day and age? You know, especially with as much as it's been in the news. Yeah, really. And I I looked at at the lady and I'm like, it's a leaf. She's like, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that you eat a leaf and it helps with all your issues? Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't eat the leaf as a leaf, (laughs) but it's natural. And that's all I treat any of my conditions with is with holistic medicines now. And she's like, "Um, yeah, all right. And she turned around and walked out. So I, (laughs) I do find that I've run into a lot of, skepticism and doubt when it comes to doctors and Kratom. I mean, I would love to be able to meet a doctor that would be like, oh, yes, Kratom, that stuff is awesome. All right, let's talk about it. <laughs> that would make my entire year. <laughs> the more the doctors hear from us, the more they'll be 
they'll be looking into it themselves because I'm sure they know that the FDA isn't always right about everything. The the smart doctors will know. But I mean, I can understand though why some people would be kind of hesitant because I'm seeing a lot online. Um, you know, people have tried to be very vocal and expressive about how much kratom has helped them in getting out of you know, alcoholism and, and taking heroin and crystal meth and, you know, stuff like that. And I love so, so much that it helps people to get off those harder drugs, mm-hmm. um, you know, and even alcohol. I mean, yeah, ever yeah. since I've never had problems with alcoholism, but I mean, I love my beer. I won't lie. But ever since I've started taking Kratom, I rarely ever get the urge to drink. And it's nice because, as we all know... <laughs> Hangovers are not nice to you the older you get. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, there's a lot of people in the medical profession that are coming back and they're, you know, talking a lot of trash about it. And it's like, wait a second, these people have found a natural holistic option to help them get away from hard drugs. You think that more doctors would be supportive of that? It's kind of like, it seems like in your situation, I mean, you had to have something else. uh, And and it seems like now with that they're refusing to prescribe pain pills to anybody even somebody that's in their 70s and has cancer this is this is what this is what people have left and so if you don't approve it then tough shit because like like in your case you said you wouldn't you probably wouldn't be here if, if it wasn't for kratom nope i can almost guarantee i wouldn't be and it's it's very sad statement on the state of our world today when you know, doctors are intentionally keeping people sick and the FDA is putting up a big fight over a natural plant from helping people, you know, people are supposed to care for others and want to see them, you know, kick their, their bad addictions and to get relief from their health problems. You know, it's not supposed to be the way that it is now. It's sad. Well, hopefully we can change things. Is there anything Kratom related going on in New Mexico or... Are they leaving it alone? so much that I've heard. Um, A lot of people, actually, that I have talked to down here don't really know about it. Yeah, I've been spreading the word, you know, between um, friends and family members and stuff down here. And I even have my, uh, well, now fiancé, you know, he's been taking it. and he. (laughs) I'm sorry? Congrats. Oh, thank you. Engagement. Um, (laughs) Yeah, kind of came out of the blue, but. But, um, yeah, I've got him taking it, and uh, he really doesn't so much um, prefer the reds um, just because I think they're a little heavy for his system, yeah. um, but he loves the greens, um, mm. you know, so he'll get it up and take, like, four of the greens, um, you know, in capsule form, and I'll put the holes in them for him, and, you know, because he's got um, a level three separation in his shoulder. Mm. Um, he's got some problems in his neck and in his lower back, so, I mean, he does construction with me too, so it's it's helped him significantly as well. That's so great. I'm on a mission. I mean, I'm one person and it's a big state, but I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spreading the word, I think, is the most important thing we can do because we're not, we all don't have uh, the big bucks to, you know, lobby the politicians with. But I think the most that a regular person can do with a normal job and isn't filthy rich is to just try to spread the word as much as we can because where are people going to turn if they're not prescribing pain pills i mean you know yeah exactly and i mean they sit there and talk about how they're so worried about the rate of suicide among you know people that um have chronic 
chronic pain issues or, you know, just severe pain or whatever the case may be. And it's like, okay, well, Kratom is aiming to try to bring that number significantly lower. But if you cut everybody off of the one of the only other alternatives that they have, then that suicide rate is going to quadruple at least. I mean, we're human. Our bodies are only built to take so much before we just can't do it anymore. Thank you very much, Amanda Marie. Please spread the word about Kratom. And you can like, subscribe, rate, review, share our podcast. The music is Risey. The song is Memories of Thailand. The Kratom Science Podcast is written and produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.